on your PC, iPod or smartphone, this is the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. Coming up on the 21st edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast, we catch up with the five-time premiership coach of the Darabin Falcons and now member of the St Kilda AFL coaching staff, Peter Searle. We find out what's happening with female footy in southern Queensland with the regional manager for AFL Darling Downs, Keith Webb. And with women's footy starting to move into a semi-professional era, we catch up with sports psychologist Daniel Diamond. All that coming up on the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. I'm Peter Holden. Thank you very much for joining us on the 21st edition of the GirlsPlayFooty.com podcast. Plenty to get through, but first of all, a special shout-out to Matt and Katie, co-founders of GirlsPlayFooty.com. A special thank you to them for hosting our articles, hosting our radio stream, and for their Facebook page and Twitter account for hosting this podcast. Plenty to get through. The Peter Searle interview coming up a little bit later on in the program. But let's first of all jump into sports psychology. Now, why would we be discussing this? Well, it looks like the National Women's AFL competition may start in 2017. And with women's football now moving into a semi-professional era and therefore players are now certainly focused on their pre-season and recovery to try and get their bodies right, what about their mind? We know at an elite level of not just AFL but of any sport, sports psychologists become involved and we thought it's the ideal opportunity to catch up with one. And I've got on the phone from the Performance and Sports Psychology Clinic based in Melbourne, Daniel Diamond on the phone. Daniel, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, first of all, can you explain your background? Yeah, I came from sports science in the UK. I did an honours degree there and then I... Uh I uh, looked to, to get an edge and to really understand the brain and mind and sent me to University of Queensland. Um, so I ended up I ended up at UQ doing a whole other honours degree in psychology and then eventually my postgrad and master's in applied, applied psych. Um, yeah, so that's my journey really. And then moved down to Melbourne once I finished there. Now we're about to talk about sports psychology and how that affects women's footy at the moment, but who are the type of clients that you're currently working with? And if I'm correct, you're working out of the MSAC precinct uh, in Melbourne? Yeah, so Lakeside Stadium, just, just, just next to MSAC. Yeah, look, my clients vary from, um, from Olympians, professional AFL players, to adolescents, teenagers, trying to, trying to improve their game and um, even weekend warriors as well. So there's a real eclectic mix from the pros to the to the really sporting enthusiasts, all really trying to um, get an edge to their performance and, and improve their games. Now, with women's football, it's due to go, uh, I guess, what you call semi-pro by 2017. That's what they're right. aiming for for the date of the uh, of the Women's uh, AFL National League. And with that, for the first time ever, women become paid and they become on, I guess, the staff or employees of, of AFL clubs. And a lot of them at the moment have been focusing on uh, the physical side of things, uh, particularly pre-season and recovery, trying to get their bodies right for elite football. But how much does psychology and the mind play in this, particularly with your dealings at the moment with some current AFL players. Yeah, so obviously with the increase with the with the change to the semi pro in paid, there's going to be increased scrutiny. So a lot of the women players will already have their own internal pressures that that, that really helps drive them and sometimes might even hinder them. But there's going to be external pressures. There's going to be incre- increased scrutiny on their coaches. It's going to in turn put more pressure on on the players to perform. And really, the skills that that sort of I develop. 
when there is a high-pressure, high-stakes environment, is all about letting go of everything you can't control, of all the factors that are beyond your, your, your ability to, to manipulate and master, and just to focus and master what you can actually execute, what skills you can actually execute. And once you do that, you can let go of all the, the junk um, and really just focus on what matters. Because these AFL clubs obviously have the bigger budget, they'll either have on staff or be able to bring in contractors who are a sports psychologist. For, for when these women first come across one, and many may have never met a sports psychologist in their life, uh, what's the process you go through with them when you, when you sit down with them? So, yeah, I mean, it's all diff- quite different, whether it's one-on-one or group or perhaps a lot of uh, psychs in the, in the AFL space work predominantly with coaches um, to help the coaches disseminate the information to the athletes. Um, so obviously one-on-one, you look more about background history and, and, and how that's a, that can be impacting performance day-to-day, uh, as well as some beliefs around their own emotions and things like that. Group settings, you, you tend to structure a program, very quite specific and structured one, um, that might just be targeting one particular area of the mind, one particular emotion, or one particular uh, skill that you're trying to enhance to improve performance. I'm interested to know your point of view on uh, a couple of things. I guess one being a team-based one and one being an individual-based. Mm. Uh, first of all, we'll look at a team, um, particularly in women's football at the moment, state levels, there'll always be the one or two dominant teams. And there'll be other teams that uh, along the way will be up and coming. They'll improve their performance against lower-ranked sides. But for some reason, there's some type of mental weakness when they meet the better side. They seem to go to water and in some occasions be beat mentally before they get out to the park. When you chat with teams, when they're trying to go up that next level, what do you chat about to try and get over that mental hurdle of facing the opponent that's never been beaten before by them? Yeah, so if there is, if there is either, either implicitly or sort of subconsciously, semi-consciously or quite consciously and overtly this idea that another team is better or another opponent is, is superior in some form, it's important. What, 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 what tends to happen uh, is that players move away from themselves at their best because they think they're not good enough at their best. So they do things that they don't usually do. So they perform in, 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 in slightly different ways or they move away from task because they think they need to do something different. So the work that I do mainly is helping people really ground themselves, athletes ground themselves in the best versions of, them, of themselves to understand what that looks like on, on court, on field, on pitch, really understand what that looks like and feels like and just help them to commit to the best versions of themselves time and time again. That's all you can ask for. Now, with with moments when other teams are superior and might dominate, you can get drawn into moving away from that and learning the skills to just refocus, again, let go of all the irrelevant stuff that might be happening in your mind and the uncomfortable experiences and really learn to become comfortable with with that uncomfortable discomfort and still commit to being the best version of yourself as an individual or as a team. Just to also know your view on the individual and the, the one term that we always call the yips. Now, that could be anything from a person kicking for goal, which one of your partners at the uh, Performance and Sports Psychology Clinic wrote about, about uh, kicking for goal. And there's even even for backline players where just one pass could go skew if and all of a sudden they're just having a rotten day from there on then. Any pass they go for just will not stick. What do you try to get inside the mind of when people are having these yips, when things they normally do naturally are just not working? 
Yeah, so there's, there's a few different there's a few different things that might be going on um, in the brain in those particular moments. One of the most common things that I see is uh, um, an overemphasis on control. So what what I mean by that is when someone is is trying to kick for goal and it's they have a set shot and they have time to execute that skill, they start to focus overtly or too much on little mechanisms in the actual kicking process, the kicking technique. And in doing so, what happens is that technique can actually be affected quite negatively because you want the technique to be automatic. So when you see someone running at full pace, hitting someone late out, that's a very automatic process. But when we have time, it can move from being automatic to being quite attentional. So we focus too much on trying to control the technique rather than allowing just the technique to take care of itself. So being that automatic space. What we need to do is, is, is learn the relevant cues, the external cues, so the mind shifts away from trying to control um, the body and t- small little mechanisms into just allowing yourself to perform and, and, and execute the skill correctly. And how do you help in that when you when you talk about trying to um, execute those skills? Do you stand there physically and watch it, say, the process happening at training? Is it a case of seeing back a video? Is it hearing back the feedback from the coach or player directly? How do you step in and be involved in that? Yeah, so it's a good question. I think. Um, what, what I tend to do is start in session, in room, um, because what you can do in there is you can, you can sort of manipulate the environment one-on-one um, to just focus on what might be coming up emotionally and thinking, thinking-wise, or cognitively, as we say in psychology, so emotionally and cognitively for the athlete. And what we do is we, learn, we teach the skills to let go of that, let go of trying to control those, those little aspects, those thoughts and emotions, and shift their attention in session, one-on-one, onto a cue. Maybe that might be the breath. Then what we might do when they've mastered that is bring them out onto the field, practice, maybe induce a bit of discomfort and a bit of fatigue by making them sprint around a bit, then help the athlete apply the skill we've, we've learned in session into training and then ultimately into, into match environments. It's certainly very interesting. And, Daniel, we're almost running out of time. So before we let, before we let you go, if people want to know more information about um, sports psychology and some of your thoughts on that as well, uh, where can they go for further details? Yeah, so there's quite a lot. Um, uh, information out there now more and more certainly there's lots of good blogs Um, obviously our website has quite a lot of information on different aspects of psychology and and performance enhancement that's pspc.com.au otherwise there's a bit of information on the AIS uh, website um, if they wish to go there as well. And I thank Daniel Diamond very much for his time. And again, if you'd like to know more about sports psychology, particularly if you want them involved at your club or just as an individual player, uh, just search online for the Performance and Sports Psychology Clinic. Again, they're based in Melbourne around the MSAC precinct in Albert Park. Let's move across to our next interview into southern Queensland, particularly around the Toowoomba region. It's called the Darling Downs, and it goes all the way from uh, Kingaroy down to Gundawindi. It's a vast area, and they've got eight sides 
in this women's competition. So things are going along great there. And that's why I've got on the line the uh, regional manager for AFL Darling Downs in Keith Webb. Uh, Keith, we spoke a couple of weeks ago to Jeff Newman, who used to be from the Darling Downs. He's obviously now based up in Mackay. How is women's footy going in, in regional Queensland and in particular your backyard, the Darling Downs? This is really one of our key areas where we've seen tremendous growth, probably more so in the last three to four years. And a lot of that is actually due to the work that Jeff did uh, when he was the development coordinator out on the Darling Downs. He's, he's left a great legacy out this way and um, it's certainly going from, from uh, strength to strength. We've actually got uh, eight teams in our senior women's competition this year. So that started back in uh, three years ago where we had uh, four teams initially in the first year and then it went to six and now we're going to eight this year. So we're, we're pretty proud of our, our women's competition and um, we're hoping that it continues to grow in future years. And I've seen across on the roster you've got guys from Friday night all the way through to Sunday. Uh, how has Friday night football, and particularly for the Tigers, been developing this year? Look, really good for, for the region. I mean, it gives us a few different aspects in terms of um, not only the girls playing at a different time frame, but getting spectators down to the event and, and making it a real showcase sort of a piece for football on the Darling Downs, where traditionally in the past that's been a real men's space. Um, but with, with our Friday night women's games we've been able to play, it's been uh, really well supported by our, our men's teams and our clubs, and uh, we're getting great buy-in from not only the uh, the women that are, that are, part, are part of that team, but also the uh, the male component of these clubs that are coming along and watching these games and just seeing the the absolute skill level that these uh, these girls and women have and uh, they're really buying into the concept as well. So I think the Friday night uh, aspect of, of of the Darling Downs footy has been a real win for the region. Not not just in terms of being able to facilitate facilitate the games, but being able to grow uh, the game itself throughout the Darling Downs. And now that the competition is three years in, how's it bedded down so far in the terms of competitiveness? Oh, look, we've certainly seen a rise, Peter, within the the three years that we've had. And I think that's going to happen naturally. But um, the new teams that have come into the competition over the last sort of two two years as well have certainly seen that uh, that level grow. Whereas in the first year we had South Toowoomba really dominated the competition. um, And then moving into last year, Dolby came into the competition last minute and actually won the the grand final at the end of the day. I think that was probably the best thing for for the comp itself because it it almost evened out the, the... the levelness of the playing field to a certain degree. And now we've seen this year we've had the Tigers come in and they've been super successful within their their women's teams they've had as well. I think they're sitting third or fourth on the ladder at the moment. So we're getting more of an even spread across the entire eight teams of the comp. But we're also seeing the skill level of uh, the women's players that are certainly rising uh, from year to year. And I think that is um, hand in hand with some of the girls that have been playing for three years. They've had that time to sort of hone their skills and improve during that time but also uh, we're attracting new girls to the game that might not traditionally come from an AFL background, but they come from, from a sporting background and they're aware of this concept and they, they want to be a part of it. And, and we're seeing some great athletes out there uh, playing from week to week. Uh, you mentioned South Toowoomba and Dolby, but uh, the competition goes wider than that, I believe all the way from the South Burnett region with Kingaroy down to the New South Wales border. It does, yeah. Look, that's... Probably one of the, um, I guess, one of the strengths and, and the weaknesses within our region is that it's so expansive. We, we've got, as you said, the South Burnett have come in this year uh, for their first year of competition, and we've got the Gundawindi Hawks as well, who um, who are right down on the New South Wales border, and there's 
approximately about four and a half hours in between those two teams. So, uh, so to get girls uh, willing, and not only just girls, this is the same with, with our men's and junior competition that we have, where we have these teams travelling and, and doing a large amount of travel between the two clubs. Uh, I think it's a real strength of the region that they're, A, prepared to do that, but B, um, they buy into to the comp- competition itself and they want to see it grow and it prosper. So um, that's country football mentality, I think, to a certain degree. They, they breed them fairly tough out this way and they, they just make it happen. So um, sometimes they'll play in the neutral venue where they'll come and they'll meet at the halfway mark and, and make sure the games go ahead, but it's uh, it's always played. So that's one of the greatest uh, greatest things in terms of community football out, out in the Darling Downs. And talking about community football in the Darling Downs, the girls have had the opportunity to represent the uh, region, I believe, a couple of times against Y Bay. Yeah, look, our second year this year, we had our representative game against Wide Bay. Uh, both years, the, the Darling Downs girls have had comprehensive wins in those games. But in saying that, it's um, we're probably a little bit further ahead of where uh, Bundaberg Wide Bay are with their women's competition. Uh, and that's nothing against Wide Bay. They've done some tremendous work in terms of um, promoting the game out that way and getting um, these representative teams together and coming in and playing against us each year, which we're really thankful for because a big part of this program and the pathway is not only giving these skills and women are an opportunity to play at club level. It's also giving them the opportunity to play at representative level as well and getting them exposed to the higher level football and hopefully um, feeding them through the representative pathway, not just to Darling Downs level, but also through to Queensland level and so on and so forth. So for us to uh, to take out those last two years, I think it's been pretty reflective in terms of where our league is at. As I said, we've got eight, eight clubs that play within the competition itself. So you're going to draw a pretty good spread of even talent across those eight, eight clubs. Uh, and from that, we've had some really good results within the two games that we've played. And then we've got girls that are, that are going on and playing at a higher level as well. So um, we're pretty happy with where we're sitting within the representative structure at this stage. And you talked about uh, the higher level. You've already got Wonder approaching that in Shalice Law from South Toowoomba, who played for the uh, Queensland Youth Girls, who uh, went over to Mandurah in WA for the Youth Girls Carnival earlier this year. And I believe has been selected in the squad to be considered to take on New South Wales. Yeah, look, she has. Uh, Shalice is um, a remarkable talent. She's uh, been a part of the the female uh, representative pathway now for, for quite a few years, and she certainly excelled within the time that she's been involved with those programs. She uh, she went away early this year with the under eighteen uh, Queensland team and was uh, named All Australian from from the carnival, the uh, national carnival that was played. She actually achieved that feat on the back of, of two games only. I think she was concussed at the end of the second game and couldn't play the remaining two games. So to be named All Australian after just playing two games, I, give, I think it gives you some sort of an idea of just how talented this young lady is and uh, obviously rewarded with selection in the uh, in the state squad and we're hoping that she gets through to the final stage and um, no doubt we'll uh, do herself proud on, on that stage playing against New South Wales ACT if she gets to that level. And uh, one uh, thing we've neglected a bit here at girlsplayfooty.com to ask the question on, and I'll, I'll take the opportunity to ask you the question is, how's the umpiring been coming along in AFL Darling Downs considering, I guess, the resources you have to pull on compared to somewhere in a traditional AFL state. Yeah, look, that's that's been one of our real key components, Peter, in terms of moving the spread of the games across not only the traditional Saturday afternoon time slot, but but also across our Friday night games we've been playing. We've even played some games on the Sunday. Uh, in the first year of the competition on the on the downs, all the women's games were played on the Sunday for that reason itself that we needed to find a space where we had um, uh, umpires that were able to come out and, and facilitate the games. Uh, and the feedback that we're getting from the umpires has been tremendous. They they actually 
actually want to be out there umpiring these female games. They, they see this competition as a real highlight for the Darling Downs and um, not only are they giving us feedback on, on terms of how excited they are to be a part of the program, but they're also telling us just how much the skill level has improved over those three years. So I think it's, it's great for them to see the, um, the game really evolve and the competition evolve itself over those three years that it's been up and running on the Darling Downs. And finally, before we let you go, for you, what's your plan for the next few years ahead for women's footy and AFL Darling Downs? Look, we've got a few uh, projects sort of in the in the pipeline at the moment. A big part of what we're doing at the moment is not only just looking to um, continue the growth of the competition within the Darling Downs, we also need to make sure that we're consolidating what we currently have. So um, any good structure and any good plan really has a good focus on the foundations of the competition itself. So we need to make sure that these eight teams that are currently playing within the Darling Downs are really well supported. Um, by, by the Darling Downs League and by their by their clubs as well. And then from there, once that's happening, we, we can certainly still look to expand the competition and see if we can possibly bring more teams in when, when they're ready. Um, in saying that as well, we're, we're also looking to expand the pathway. So this year, we, we sort of took our first step in terms of doing that, where we've uh, been able to set up a, an under-17 youth girls competition. They actually play on a Friday night in Toowoomba. And just like when the women started, we've had four teams that have entered into that competition in the third year so that's going really well um, down the track there might be a possibility to extend that to an under 14 and an under 13 competition and if we get that up and going then that's the complete pathway really from buying in at OSKIC level uh, at the very sort of start of the grassroots program all the way through to junior football and then through to senior women's football at the end so that's really the long term view for uh, for the women's game on the downs but um, in terms of where it's at right now we're really happy within the space that we're at, we want to consolidate what we currently have and then make plans in the future to see if we can continue to grow And I thank Keith very much for his time and wish you all the women participating in the AFL Darling Downs competition all the very best for the remainder of season 2015. And now to our feature interview. I've got on the line a member of the St Kilda AFL coaching staff in Peter Searle. But most in women's footy circles will know her for her time at Darabin, where she coached them to five premiership flags in a row and an incredible unbeaten streak. They were the most feared side throughout the land. And of course, the Darabin Women's Sports Club are celebrating their 25th anniversary uh, this weekend on July 4th, their big dinner, and they'll be announcing their side of the last 25 years. And uh, no doubt, I'd have to suggest this woman is a red-hot favourite to be the coach of that particular team, because how can you argue with five premiership flags in a row? And then, of course, she went on to uh, be with the Western Jets, an assistant coach there. She was on the coaching staff at Port Melbourne in the VFL, and now, as I alluded to earlier, on the coaching staff of the St Kilda AFL side. I've got Peter Searle on the line. Now, Pete, before we discuss all things Darabin and the 25th anniversary, how is life at the moment at St Kilda? Yeah, absolutely loving life at the Saints. Uh, you know, it's, it's great to uh, be involved in a club that's inclusive and, and progressive and, uh, you know, all the boys are very uh, supportive and I'm working with a really good group of coaches and, and the administration um, here is, is just magnificent in, in how much, um, you know, they're, they're supporting it. And time's flown by, hasn't it? Because it's, it's been a year now. It has, yeah. Look, I don't know where the year's gone and, you know, you blink and it's over and, uh, you know, we all, all love to be involved in a, a footy club, whether it's at local level or, or not, and, and I get to be involved in a footy club every day of the week. So, yeah, it's fantastic. 
Now, the reason why we have you on the line, of course, is the big 25th anniversary dinner coming up on July 4 for the Darabin Falcons. So let's flash back for a moment. Uh, where did your involvement with Darabin first begin? Yeah, I was actually uh, playing footy for a club called uh, Parkside and uh, we, we were relative, relatively successful, but uh, unfortunately back in those days you were kind of at the mercy of, of the committee. And while one committee were happy to have you involved, um, a new committee might move in and, and might not be so happy. And that's exactly what happened to us. And as a group of players, we'd already shifted a couple of times and we are just getting, you know, probably more, a lot of us were at the, the, the end or getting towards the end of our careers and we couldn't be bothered starting again. So some stopped playing, um, some went to other clubs and about five of us uh, decided that uh, we'd go to Darabin and, um, you know, because they weren't going so well and we thought maybe, you know, five of us could go down there and, and help a little bit and, and see where that took us. Now, we know a lot about the history of uh, Peter Sell, the coach, but how would you describe Peter Sell, the footballer? Yeah, yeah, probably often gets lost because, you know, everyone just thinks of me as a coach, but yeah, I think um, I think I was a pretty good footballer at the time. I was probably um, an in-and-under person. I ran hard. I was very competitive. Always liked to win. You know, even just recently we had a uh, like a, a past players game down at Darabin and I think I was the only one that walked off grumpy because we lost. So definitely highly competitive, uh, very encouraging, I- I'd imagine, I think, but probably uh, a little bit lippy towards the umpires as well. Any player at any sporting club obviously has their best buddies, the ones they're constantly running aside uh, at training, uh, possibly creating a bit of mischief off the field. Uh, who were your best buddies? Yeah, there was certainly a group of us and, uh, you know, we enjoyed our footy and we played quite hard, but, uh, you know, we enjoyed each other's company and, and we probably partied a bit hard too. And, you know, to name a few is probably um, Anita Rook, and she was a bit of a champion player of herself. Kate Burke, or as everyone knows, is Tucker, Kim Nielsen, and Naomi Howie. They were probably um, the ones that I used to always run a muck with. And we played cricket together before we, we were even introduced to footy. So, you know, we we're friends for a good 15, 20 years. Now, out on the field, Pete, um, who were some of your toughest opponents that you know, obviously you looked at when you stepped out in the field and you're thinking, geez, I'm going to have a tough day at the office? Yes, certainly uh, Debbie Lee was a tough opponent and, uh, you know, being a top player for for a very large amount of time and and the reason for that is not only her her ability to win the ball and and use the ball, but, um, you know, she was so strong around the contest and, you know, you knew if she was around the contest that, you know, it was going to be a hard day in the office and you're probably going to struggle to get your hands on it. How'd you end up learning the uh, coaching position at Darabin? Probably right right place, right time, really. Uh, They needed a coach. I'd just finished playing. I actually wasn't too keen to uh, coach Darabin, um, basically because, you know, I'd been playing with them for a couple of years. You know, there's a few that, you know, I'd been playing with probably for about 15 years and I was probably a bit of a scallywag, so I thought they're not ever going to take me too seriously. There was probably a few people there that didn't like having me there as a player because when we first went across, um, you know, I think uh, a few of the the original Darabin players weren't too happy. Um, So there was also that side of it as well. So it was definitely... Not a club I, I wanted to coach, but uh, after a little bit of nagging, um, you know, I, I did. And clearly I'm glad I did because I haven't looked back. And, you know, I think it's really important that the people at Darabin and the people that I've coached along the way, you know, take some credit for, for where I am today because it's certainly, you know, it's part of their success as it is, uh, as it is mine. And as you were alluding to earlier, was it easy to get everyone on board early to your coaching style or, or were there some challenges? Yeah, look, it was actually easier than um, than I anticipated, you know, and I think, you know, you just set really clear direction of where you want to go and how you want to achieve it. And, 
you know, we had a lot of people down there that was probably just crying out to, to really learn and have fun and continually grow to be better players. So, you know, and that's no doubt I've always liked to coach to win, but you always coach to grow and to continually improve. And, you know, the girls are at a stage where, you know, they were ready to do that and ready to do whatever it took to do it. And, and because of that, you know, it was actually was quite an easy transition, I think, for me and, and probably hopefully for them too. 2006 was the start of the run of years of being undefeated and five flags in a row. D- did you sense early you had something very special with that team? Often people talk about the five flags in a row and, um, you know, at the time you really don't understand what it means. Uh, now that, you know, I'm, I'm no longer involved and I haven't won a flag anywhere since, <laughs> you know, I look back and think, gee, that was an amazing, amazing run. But, you know, for the people that were involved, we also talk about that first year where, you know, we'd gone from bottom of the ladder from years to years to years to, uh, you know, playing in the grand final. So that was probably a pretty special um it's a pretty special time as well um, that's, that's not quite spoken about because it didn't come with a flag. But we kind of knew that, you know, because of that, where we could come from in one year, there was certainly a lot of upside of what we could achieve. But um, in terms of, you know, I look at the team and go, wow, this is a really special team. I think, you know, you always think your team's special. You always care about the people you coach. And um, you don't really think of it as this is a team that's going to go on and win games after games after games. But, you know, you just look at them as people and go, gee, they're a great group of girls. You know, they're easily coachable. Um, and because of that, and basically their will and their desire, um, you knew that we could always do reasonably well. Well, this question is almost like asking who's your favourite child. But out of all yeah. of those flags at Darabin, which one did you enjoy the most? Look, to be honest, I don't really remember. Um, clearly, your first one's probably pretty special. And then there was a couple of flags that was a little bit tighter. Um, there was, I think there was a game down at where the Northern Blues play, um, and it took us, I think, three-quarter time. I remember at half time we were behind, and I had to give them a bit of a rev up. So that one was probably pretty special. Uh, there was another one against Diamond Creek. That was probably my last one. So, yeah, I think that one was special too because I kind of knew that perhaps I was looking to go elsewhere, so it was nice to finish on a high. Um, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, like, you enjoy all flags, but certainly as a coach, you don't enjoy them the same way as you enjoy them as a player. You know, as a player, it's like pure elation, and as a coach, it's probably pure relief. So, you know, and each and every one of them, you know, I remember feeling quite relieved um, at the end of the day. And I asked you this question uh, once in the uh, Port Melbourne Footy Club social rooms, but I'll ask it again. Um, how many times did you have to deliver a good old-fashioned paint peeler? Yeah, only once. So uh, once in six years, I think that that's a pretty good effort. And um, for all those girls that were involved that day, um, you know, they certainly still talk about it and remember it. And I think I remember chatting to one of your teammates who said at the time you actually threw down the clipboard as well. Uh, with a water bottle, yeah, absolutely. I uh, had a water bottle and that landed on the ground. And um, luckily, you know, we, we were away from, from everybody because I'd already uh, cracked it, so to speak. And uh, and I walked over the other side of the ground and, you know, obviously it took them a while to get to me because that's where the headspace was at at the time. So by the time they walked over in dribs and drabs, I was uh, had a fair bit of time to... Uh, start fuming and put up a bit of a temper, I guess. So, yeah, that was it. And, uh, you know, we certainly weren't behind or anything like that, but they certainly weren't representing themselves the way that we'd come accustomed to and and more so in the way that, um, you know, we expect ourselves to conduct. So it was probably more disappointment in in what they were doing and the way they were going about it than the result itself. Throughout your time at Darabin, uh, who was the best you played alongside and who was the best you coached? In terms of... uh, people I love to play footy with. I love to play footy with Karen Stevens and with Roy. 
you could walk on the footy field and totally trust them that they would have your back and they'd be hard at the contest. In terms of the people that I've coached, when you coach, you look at the whole side and everyone in the side fits the jigsaw puzzle and has something to offer. So, for example, you know, there might be someone in your side that's not the most skillful person but can really control and communicate a line and really organise everybody else. You need to have those type of players. Um, you need to have players who, you know, are very skillful, who can win the ball, that can deliver and use the ball, you know, and you need to have the players that, you know, can spiritually bring everyone together. So, for me... You know, the only reason why we, we won so many is because all the players were accountable and all the players had something special to offer and all the players delivered on, on what that something special was. Before I let you go, uh, one final question. Uh, what makes Darabin such a, a special and successful club? Look, Darabin is a special place. Um, well, it's a special place for me. It uh, reminds me of the TV show Cheers, where everyone knows your name. You go down there and there's a real sense of belonging. Um, it really includes people, no matter what, in what type of walks of life that you are. Um, but having said that, too, it um, also holds its people accountable to really good values and behavioural expectations. And I think because of those things that um, you attract the right people to your club and, and then the right people stay at your club. And, and then it kind of just snowballs momentum from there and and that's one of the reasons why Darabin have been successful for a long time. And I thank the legendary Peter Searle once again for her time who no doubt is very busy at the moment in her coaching role at St Kilda. Very close last week against the Doggies as well. They just fell one goal short but you can see a lot of improvement down there at the Saints. And of course don't forget that uh, big 25th anniversary dinner that's happening uh, this Saturday for the uh, Darabin Falcons and we certainly wish uh, everyone at the Darabin Women's Sports Club all the very best in this massive Massive night for them as they celebrate 25 years of not just AFL, but also they've been involved in various other sports such as uh, eight ball, soccer and cricket. It's going to be a massive night for them. I'm Peter Holden. It's been a pleasure having your company on this 21st edition of the girlsplayfooty.com podcast. And if you've got a story we should be following up, make sure you shoot us an email, girlsplayfootyradio at gmail.com. Certainly love to hear from you. And a reminder that our VWFL Match of the Day coverage is back this Sunday, 5th of July from 1.30pm, a crunch game between 5th and 4th. Melbourne University hosting the Eastern Devils at Tin Alley. To listen in, go to our website, girlsplayfooty.com, or if you've got the TuneIn app on your mobile device, make sure you search for Girls Play Footy to be able to listen to the live stream of that from 1.30pm Melbourne time. It's been a privilege having your company. Until next time, it's bye for now.